This is Luke 11, 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend? Sorry, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. Hey, it's okay to chat a little bit. Great to be with you here. Uh, I appreciate the invite from Pastor Josh to speak again. Um, I had the opportunity to preach back in January and if you don't recall that, I don't know if that says more about my preaching or your memory, uh, but either way, it was adequate enough that Josh gave me another shot at it. Uh, I, I had to hand it to him. It's really remarkable for him to hand off the pulpit with a, a passage as rich and wonderful as this one on prayer. Now, granted, he also asked me to speak a couple of times during the Song, uh, not Song of Solomon, during the Ecclesiastes sermon series, and conveniently, I was unavailable for those weekends which were much more challenging passages, but I, I really have to hand it to Josh and the team that has preached because they did a great job with Ecclesiastes and are doing great with Luke. And uh, I'm excited just to continue our walk through this, this gospel as we see Jesus teaching the disciples to pray. Well, something you need to know about me is that I am not the guy that you should come to if you need help with car repairs. It's just not something I learned. My, my dad never taught me those sorts of things. It's not something he was good at. And, you know, many young men learn from a dad or an uncle or a grandpa. Uh, my dad taught me many wonderful things, uh, how to take care of the lawn, uh, how to preach. My dad has been a pastor for 47 years and is just retiring this year. And I learned a ton from him in that area. Uh, I've learned how to catch a bass off the edge of a lily pad uh, in the lakes of northern Minnesota. But he did not teach me about how to take care of a car. Uh, I've had some interesting experiences in that area in my life. There was once a time in college when I was headed back home, driving over the pass between Montana and Idaho, and being a very you know, spend-thrifty college student, I thought I would save a little money, and when I was going down the pass, I would shift into neutral so as to save gas. Never mind that that's essentially what the engine is doing anyway when you're driving down a mountain pass, but I didn't know that. I'm like, I'm going to save money, I'm going to put it in neutral. 
Only when I went to put it back into drive, I went the other direction and shifted into reverse, going 70 miles an hour downhill. Not recommended. I uh, killed the engine, pulled off to the side of the road, and I thought, I'm going to have to call my parents from the middle of nowhere, three hours away from them, and tell them that I've destroyed the car engine. But somehow, by the mercies of God, the car started and there were no problems. Uh, I once poured oil into the, trans, uh, the transmission fluid case, found out your car can actually run when you do that. And then there was one other time that I was going to replace the speakers in my car, only to have a friend who showed me that if you pushed the knob in on the tuning button and turned it to the right, magically those speakers came on. So as you might imagine, anytime something goes wrong with my car, it's usually a very expensive trip to the mechanic, even for something relatively minor. So a couple of years ago, uh, we were at a gathering with some of our neighbors, and the topic came up that I needed new brakes. It may have been that every time I pulled into my driveway, the loud squeaking of the brakes were being noticed by the neighbors. And so we were talking about this, and I was moaning about how I was going to have to take it to a mechanic, and how such a simple job as brakes would cost me so much money. Well, it was then that one of my neighbors piped up and said, well, brakes are easy. I could teach you how to do it. I thought, that's awesome. I would love to learn how to fix my own brakes. And so he told me what I would need to pick up at the auto parts store and said, on Saturday, just drive your car over to my garage and, and we'll change your brakes. I'm like, awesome. So I, I got the parts, drove into his garage Saturday morning, and it quickly became evident that this would be less teaching and more watching. It didn't take long for me to feel like the 11-year-old kid standing there with his dad doing some job, and he was the hold this, um, hand me that kind of person. That was my job as my neighbor began to change my brakes. Now, don't get me wrong. I was actually okay with this situation because I'm pretty confident that him repairing my brakes was a far better scenario than me getting involved and that the, the eventual job that got done was much better than had I been involved. But as I watched him expertly change my brakes and I handed him the right wrench or, or the right part when he needed it, I didn't learn a whole lot about changing my brakes. And so now if our brakes begin to squeak again, I don't change them myself, I take it to a mechanic. When it comes to being taught how to do something, there are many scenarios like this where we're not so much taught as we watch someone else do it. And I think nowhere is that perhaps more common than in this area of prayer. The prayer is something we all feel like we should do more of, but if we're honest, probably say we don't pray as much as we should or wish that we would. And, and we've watched others pray, we've read great prayers, and something in us has often said, boy, I wish I could pray like that. Maybe we have wonders or we, we have concerns if we're praying the right way. Does, does God like the way that I pray? Is it what, what he wants to hear from you? Am I doing it right? I can't tell you how many times in a small group I've asked someone if they would pray and they sheepishly say, I, I'm not really comfortable praying out loud. Which to me, I, I find like, well, were you not taught how to pray? And many of us, I think, were not taught. And so in this passage, I'm aware this evening as I speak that there is that opportunity. This could be more showing and telling how to pray and not teaching. But Jesus' heart in this passage is to teach us how to pray, how to engage with the Heavenly Father. Because on this certain day, the disciples had noticed something in Jesus about the way that he prayed. And they came to him and they're saying, teacher, teach us to pray. 
as John taught his disciples. And we don't know exactly what was motivating them that day, if if there was a quality to Jesus' prayer, if there was a frequency or the amount of time he spent praying. Uh, But something about the life of prayer that Jesus lived was appealing and different to them than what they knew. And they said, Jesus, you need to teach us to pray as you do. It it could be that for them, in their tradition, uh, many of them were not accustomed to praying on their own from the heart. You know, if you've ever had the opportunity to go through a a Jewish Seder, the the, the Passover meal that is still uh, carried out all these years uh, after it's been initiated back in the Old Testament, if you go through a Jewish Seder meal, which has become a tradition for us in one of our uh, friend groups, you'll find over and over that you repeat some of the same prayers. That the whole group together will say, Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. You'll say that prayer at least four times during the the meal. And I wonder for the disciples if that's not what prayer was to them. It was the things that they knew how to pray, like the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, or uh, the prayers that were said at mealtimes or at the Passover. But this idea of just approaching God in prayer was new to them. So I I think in this passage, Jesus actually taught them and will teach us, um, first of all, what to pray in verses 2 through 4. And then I think in verses 5 to 10, he'll show us how to pray. And then in the last couple of verses, 11 through 13, Jesus shows us why to pray. And so he starts out with what to pray. And he begins with those words. He says, well, when you pray, say this, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, in that simple sentence, Jesus has already surprised them about his approach to prayer. You've probably heard this, that the word there for father is a very familial, uh, family-based term for God as Abba, a father. And, and we're accustomed to that. We, we think of God as our father, but for them, that would have been very foreign because when they spoke of God, they used the words like Adonai or Yahweh or um, Elohim, all these great phrases of who God was in the Old Testament, and those were the holy names. But to say that God was their Abba would have perhaps even been uncomfortable for them. But then in the very next phrase, he goes on to say something that almost seems like a contradiction because he says, hallowed or holy is your name. And I I think the disciples that day would have actually been thinking, well, what name? You you didn't use a name. You, You said Abba, but then talked about how holy God is. And I I think in this short prayer, Jesus actually uses a number of contradictions that I think teach us something about what prayer is meant to be. See, he first calls God our Father, but then he goes on to say his name is holy, that he's the Father and he's holy. And then he, he goes on to another contradiction. He says, may your kingdom come and give us each day our daily bread. So here we've got a contradiction of that it's, it's the kingdom of God that comes first and my needs matter, right? Like, like we're to pray for God's kingdom to, to break into this world and for more of his love and peace to be seen by other people, which can maybe make us feel like what I need isn't nearly as important as those things. It's the kingdom of God that's first. But in the next sentence, he's saying, and give us this day our daily bread, those most common and simple of needs, Jesus saying the Father cares about that too. What matters to you matters to him. And so even though you're praying for the coming kingdom, pray also for your daily bread. And then in the next phrase, he says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. 
Here we've got this dynamic of both a God who forgives our sins and who helps us in the forgiving of others. It's not one or the other, it's this both and of a God who forgives and as he forgives, he leads us into forgiveness. And then the final phrase of his prayer, and lead us not into temptation. And if you're used to the longer version of this same prayer from the book of Matthew, you know that the next phrase that likely Jesus did say in this situation, it's just for whatever reason Luke chose not to record it, but the idea of, but deliver us from evil. So here we see this seeming contradiction that that we pray that God will lead us, but even as he's leading us, we still need delivering. We still need to be led away from temptation, even though God is leading us. And so what I see in this, this simple prayer that Jesus presents to the disciples and to us is that whatever it is in this life, whatever it is in this world, all of it can be lived out in his presence and brought to him in prayer. That it's, it's not like we only approach God for those high and lofty things and to worship him and pray for his kingdom, but it's also not that we only come to him for our needs and what matters to us. It's this wonderful, beautiful both and of prayer that we're praying about God as our father and that he's holy that we're praying for his kingdom to come and that our needs are met, that he forgives us and that we forgive others, that he's leading us and that we're delivered from evil. And all of it is the heart in which we can come to him in prayer. And so what I see Jesus teaching us here is that we can go eagerly to our heavenly father in prayer for all things. We can come eagerly. Whatever's on our heart, we can go eagerly to God because it matters to him. And if what's on our heart that day is just to worship him and praise him for his beauty and adore him for the good things in our life, then then yes, we do it. If on another time what's on our heart is just asking for our simple everyday needs and worries and cares, then Jesus is saying, yes, go to him with all things in prayer. You know, I, I can't tell you in my own life how many times this has been for me a model of what to pray. You know, we we can feel like, well, I I don't really know how to pray. What should I say? Well, pray this prayer. And I don't just mean in a a rote kind of memorized fashion. I mean, if, if you do that, that's wonderful. But use it as the foundation of your prayer life. Uh, many days when I've just not known what else to pray, I'll just say, Father, Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. God, I worship you for how good you are and how wonderful. And, and may your name be kept holy. May I honor you in my life. May your kingdom come. Yes, Lord, let, let your goodness break into our world. We need to see more of you. My friends and the people that I am around, they need to see Christ in me and in this world. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. God, I pray you'd meet my needs today. Give me my daily bread, those things that matter to me. Help me to look to you for them and remember that whatever I have has come from you. And forgive me of my sins. Lord, I've I've fallen short in these areas. Would you forgive me? And then help me today to forgive other people for the sins that that they've brought in against me. Help me not to hold on to bitterness. Help me not to look for vengeance. God, help me to forgive others. And lead me. Lead me today. Not in temptation. Deliver me me from evil. Lead me into what is good and right and, and holy. And as I find that I'm just trying to pray through the Lord's Prayer, what seems to happen is all of these little parts and segments of my life suddenly get brought into my life of prayer and are brought before God, not because I was trying to remember them all, but because I simply walk through this prayer that Jesus gave us that can lead us into all these areas of what matters to us and matters to him, and it engages us in this life of prayer with him. 
Well, Jesus goes on then to teach them and uses an illustration. He says to them, you know, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. You know, if we think about first century Judaism and the Middle East, you didn't keep food for very long, right? You didn't have a refrigerator and every day they would get up and bake new bread, fresh bread, because in that hot desert climate, you know, things didn't last. And so they would make enough to be eaten that day or they'd go to market, buy what they need, they would eat it. And so if, if someone came unexpectedly late at night and you had nothing to serve them, there, there weren't a lot of options. You know, it's not like you could run down to the 7-Eleven or the Winco and just grab some stuff and rush home. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling embarrassed here. I've got nothing to offer my guest. And so he says, you go to your friend's house and say, you know, help me out. But then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. So in that Middle Eastern first century society, most homes would have been one large room. You know, different areas of that room, but everyone kind of together and often sleeping in very close proximity. And so to get out of bed and make your way through the room and unlock the door, this, this could have been a bit of an ordeal for them. So Jesus says, it's, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Now, it's, it's very, very important here that we recognize what Jesus is trying to teach. Remember, he's teaching them how to pray, not teaching them about who God is. Because I think that's one of the dangers we can inadvertently read into this text is think Jesus is describing what God is like when we go to him in prayer. That he is like the neighbor that is reluctant to help, that doesn't want to have to stop what he's doing to, to do what we need, that, that needs to be persuaded to listen and get out of bed. Like, no, that Jesus isn't explaining in this story what God is like. He does that in a lot of other places in this story Remember, he's teaching them how to pray. He's saying, when you pray, be like this person that would go to the neighbor's house and would ask and keep on asking because you know if, if you just keep being loud and knocking on the door, sooner or later, you're going to get what you need. And so keep knocking and keep asking and keep looking. That's how you should pray. But that's not what God is like. God is not a hesitant, reluctant neighbor that has to be cajoled into helping us. So if, if Jesus isn't speaking about what God is like in this passage, it, it does kind of bring up the question of, well, why? Why do we have to keep asking? Why do we have to keep seeking? Why do we have to keep knocking? And the truth is, we know that it's not because God needs it, right? I mean, before I even go to God in prayer, does he not know already what I'm going to ask for? He does. And before I even ask for it in prayer, does he not already know better than I do what I should be asking for? He does. Does God not know my needs better than I know them myself? He does. Which suggests to me that the reason we continue to ask, seek, and knock is not for God's benefit that somehow and in some way it's for ours, that the asking and the seeking and the knocking does something in us that is right and is good. And I think it's intentional that Jesus doesn't explain why, right? Because if he explained why, what would we do? 
we'd turn it into a formula. Oh, okay, if, if you pray this many times and in this way and you knock just right, and if it's three times here and two times there, then God answers. We would do that, wouldn't we? Like, if I just get this many people to pray, and if we all pray in this way and say the right words, then we get what we need. And, and I think Jesus is aware, I, I don't want it to be a formula, but I want your heart attitude to be one of consistent persistence, of asking and seeking and knocking. Not because you're trying to cajole God into helping you, but because it's doing something in you to keep asking and to keep knocking and to keep looking. And some of us need to hear that. You know, because if, if you're anything like me, I'm, I'm really big into efficiency, right? Like, like, I want things to work, and I want them to work right, and I want them to work right the first time. That's why one of the great frustrations in my life is like when technology doesn't work. Because not only do I not know how to fix it, but the problem is that technology is supposed to make my life easier. And so if my phone or my computer or something isn't working right, it's like, oh, this is frustrating. Just work. And I think sometimes we can bring that attitude to prayer. It's like, well, I I prayed for that yesterday, and I prayed for it today, and if God hasn't answered yet, well, he knows what I need. Why do I keep asking? I'll just wait and see if he's going to deliver. But for some reason, Jesus is encouraging. He's saying, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, because the one who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks has the door open to them. It it may be helpful for us to remember the society in which Jesus is speaking these words. Right? The disciples that are hearing this message, they have grown up their entire lives in a country that is under Roman occupation. And it's not just that there was a foreign country ruling them, and so, you know, it's kind of like this geopolitical thing. Consider that for an Israelite, their nationality was their religion. That to be an independent, sovereign nation not only reflected well of God's power and sovereignty in their nation, but it also was a reflection of the obedience of the nation itself. And so the fact that they had grown up their whole lives under Roman occupation meant that either God had abandoned the nation or the nation had lived in disobedience to him or some combination of both. And they had likely grown up their whole lives hearing their parents and their elders and their grandparents pray for deliverance from the Romans and the evil that Rome represented to the Israelites and their religion and their worship of the one true God. And they had prayed since the time they were children that God would deliver, that he would send a deliverer, that he would uh, set them free from the taxation and the oppression and, and having their young men and women taken into service to Rome and into their pagan gods. And they had prayed their whole lives. And what had happened? Up to that point, nothing. Roman guards were still everywhere. Taxes were still being required. Things seemed to be going from bad to worse. I don't know if that sounds like any other society that we've experienced, but sometimes I think they would have been at a place that they said, well, I've already prayed for that, and what what is God now doing? And it's to those disciples that Jesus says, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. So what might it be for you? Is it that situation at work that you've been praying over for years and it still seems unchanged and Have you grown weary in asking? Is it perhaps a family member or a close friend, a loved one that doesn't know Jesus and you've been praying for their salvation day after day and something in you starts to wonder, does God care? 
Maybe you're praying for someone that's turned away from God and it's run from him and you're looking for that moment of them coming back and you've, you've prayed and, and there's no answer and so you wonder, is my prayer working? And so to you, like Jesus said to his followers in that day and age, we need to hear that the asking and the knocking and the seeking is doing something good in us and for us. And so keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking because the one who does finds. And so for you and I, we can go eagerly and regularly to our Heavenly Father in prayer for all things. We're being taught here to go eagerly and regularly to God in all things. And if we've already asked, we'll keep on asking because there's something about the asking that is doing something for us and that is leading towards an answer. Now, it kind of seems like at this point that Jesus can hear their protesting. That maybe in turn they're going, yeah, but, but Jesus, I, I prayed and it hasn't happened. Or God, I feel like I asked for this thing over here and what I got was this over here. That's not really what I was expecting. And so Jesus goes on and he says to them, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Seems like, you know, pretty obvious, you know, uh, kind of storyline here that if one of my kids is hungry and says, man, dad, I'm, I'm so hungry. Could I have some bread? And I were to say to him, oh, you know, go out in the backyard. We've got some rocks. Grab some rocks and you'll be good. It's like, well, I, that, that doesn't even make any sense, dad. Like, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm going to need something to eat. And that's kind of what Jesus is bringing up here to say, if, you know, if your kids come to you and they need something, you don't give them something harmful or poisonous or dangerous for them. And he goes on then to say, if, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. And, and by the way, I think when Jesus calls them evil, he's not meaning to put them down or, or kind of point out their you know, decision-making process in that moment. I, I think what Jesus is pointing out is that in comparison to a holy, perfect, wonderful, good, heavenly father, in comparison to him, you are evil. You're of a fallen world and you've made mistakes. And, and, and in comparison to God, not necessarily in comparison to other people, he wasn't trying to say the disciples were evil in comparison to all other people, but he was trying to say that all mankind in comparison to God could be considered in that sense evil. And so he's saying if, if you who are not God, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And in my opinion, three of the greatest words throughout the Bible are those three little words, how much more? There's many places they're used to compare something about us to something about God. And he's saying, if you fathers, though you are in this broken, fallen world and yourselves are broken and and make mistakes all the time, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more? more does your heavenly father who is good and perfect how much more does he know right does he know to give you what is needed because I I think if we're honest some of us can be hesitant to go to God in prayer I mean what if I'm praying to God and I feel like he says well you're going to go to Africa and I don't want to go to Africa and so maybe I, I just won't listen to God that closely I might go to God and and pray for peace in my life. And he's going to say, well, if you want peace, you need to go and be reconciled to that person. And and I don't know if I'm ready to be reconciled to that person, so maybe I I won't pray. 
do you hear how in that attitude what we're saying is I might ask God, I might ask him for a, a fish and he'll, he'll give me a, sn- a snake instead. And Jesus, I think, is trying to calm their fears and ours to say, if, if you evil parents, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about being called an evil parent, but, you know, there it is. If you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your father give good gifts? Maybe not always exactly like we expect or in the way we expect or in the time we expect, but good gifts. But now here's the real punchline of this. Because there's a parallel here that Jesus doesn't actually complete the way you would have expected. Because he sets it up to say, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, the parallel would have been, how much more will your father who is good give good gifts to you? That would be the parallel. But what Jesus says, Jesus says, how much more will your father who is good give you the Holy Spirit? Do you see that? That when Jesus links together the good gifts, the idea that parents know how to give their kids good gifts and God as a good eternal heavenly father knows how to give a good gift as well. The good gift that Jesus mentions when he says, how much more will your father give you good gifts? That good gift that Jesus refers to is the Holy Spirit. That as we're looking to him, the goodness that we need is more of the Holy Spirit. And it's really incredible to see that actually that may be the punchline or the point of Jesus teaching them about prayer. That as he's saying, go to God in prayer, what you should be asking for and seeking and knocking and hoping to find is not just some good gift for yourself. The good gift is the Holy Spirit. You know, and if I could, you know, stand on my soapbox for a moment and I'd put it here and I'd stand up on it, my my soapbox would be this. We have a missing holiday in the Christian world. Because we celebrate the coming of God into our world at Christmas. We celebrate the death and resurrection of God at Easter. But what about the coming of God to live in us? You know, that's a holiday called Pentecost. Now, for many of us, if we grew up in a very traditional or conservative or uh, uh, kind of a fundamentalist kind of background, that word uh, Pentecost can feel a little bit loaded because it's awfully close to the word Pentecostal. And for a lot of us, Pentecostal, now not, not everyone, some of you maybe grew up in a wonderful, supportive Pentecostal environment and, and you have no problem with the word, but for others of us, Pentecostal kind of brings to mind a group that does some weird things in their services. We might even feel unbiblical. It's, it's a little wild and crazy and it's like, we don't know how we feel about Pentecostal and so the word Pentecost itself is like, well, I, I don't know what to do with that one. But can I just say that when Jesus talked about his life in the world, his mission he saw is actually being fulfilled in Pentecost. Look at these words that he said to his disciples in John 16. You know, think about this. He's sitting around in a circle with them. They're maybe talking around the campfire and he says to them, truly I tell you, It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That Jesus is actually saying to people that he's there in the flesh with them. He's saying, it's better for you that I go away. And I'm thinking if I'm sitting in that circle, I'm going to say, no, it's not. It'd be better for for me if you stayed 
Like if you could be here and walk with me and tell me what to do. And Jesus says, no, it's actually better if I go. Because if I go, I can send the Holy Spirit who will be an advocate, who will guide you, who will teach you, who will remind you of everything the Father has said to me and that I have said to you. And it's better that you have him in you than me with you. In fact, I, I would say it this way. And if at first it might offend you, but before you like get up and leave or throw something at me, like take a minute and think about it with me. I think the point of Christmas and Easter was Pentecost. That without Pentecost, Christmas and Easter are memorials of something that happened in the past. But because of Pentecost, Christmas and Easter are the completion of what God intended to do in this world. That he came to live among us. That he died and was resurrected to show power and victory over sin and death. So that the temple of the living God that was once among them in a place that they could go to, that the temple would go from being a building to a people and that the presence of the living God would be in you and me. And that is celebrated at Pentecost. We're in Acts chapter 2. As the disciples got up on that day and the Holy Spirit had filled them, they began to proclaim a gospel that would be concluded with other people also walking in the filling of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, does anyone know when Pentecost is? Pentecost is next Sunday, May 23rd. It's 50 days, Pente, meaning 50. Pentecost is 50 days after Easter if you count Easter Sunday. So you always just look seven weeks later, and May 23rd this year is Pentecost. And I would encourage you, whether on an individual level or a family level or a church level, like, celebrate it. What what do you do at Christmas? What do you do at Easter? Do something like that at Pentecost because it is as important, if not more, than all the rest. But the challenge is that Target and Walmart and our schools don't help us out by putting stuff on sale and giving us days off work, right? Now, if if they did, that would make Pentecost a lot easier to remember. But it's this moment where Jesus says, I have come to live in you. And that's even better than if I was with you in person. And so here's the truth for you and I this afternoon that that we can go eagerly and regularly to the Heavenly Father in prayer for all things, but especially the Holy Spirit. And, and we could spend a lot of time, you know, talking through, and it'd be a whole other series on like, well, if I came to faith in Christ, do I already have all of the Holy Spirit? Am I, am I really getting more, or is he getting more of me? And what does it mean to ask for the Holy Spirit? And is, is there a secondary filling that comes later? And probably, you know, around this room, we would have different opinions of how that works or what it looks like, but... For the purposes of this talk, I think what Jesus is simply reminding us is that when you ask and when you knock and when you seek for good from your heavenly father, the good gift he longs to give you is more of himself, more of the Holy Spirit who will guide, who will lead, who will be our advocate. And so how are we making room for that Holy Spirit in our life? to be the one that guides us into all the other things that we have been talking about this afternoon. So earlier uh, this week, my wife and I had some of our coworkers over for dinner. Um, and as one of those coworkers walked into our backyard, she saw our, our back fence and she said, oh, that's a nice fence. And I said, oh, thank you, I built it. And she said, how did you know how to build a fence? And at first I felt a little offended because I thought she was pointing out how I don't really know how to do things like that, which would be true. But I was like, well, I, I built it because my friend taught me. 
You see, unlike the, the break story that I told you, in the first house that we lived in, I had another friend who taught me, said, I'll teach you how to build a fence. And he came over with all his tools, and, and, and he put in the first post, but then he said, okay, Nick, now, now you do it. And then he, he put up the first supporting two-by-four, and then he said, okay, Nick, now you do it. And he would walk by after I did, and he'd look and say, yeah, that's really good, and you've got it level, and yeah, just like this. And, and he screwed in the first board, but then he said, okay, Nick, now you do it. And, and we worked together for the better part of a day, and, and then when he went home, he said, okay, why don't you finish up, and tomorrow I'll come back, and I'll see what progress you've made. And, and by the time uh, I was getting done with that fence, he didn't come by at all, and I did it on my own. And so this time, this last year, when we needed a fence, I went out, and I, I just did what my friend had showed me to do. Now, if any of you come by, you might say, well, this was the wrong way and you should have done that because I just learned to do one way that my friend taught me. But the point is, he taught me and now I do it. And for you and I, we have been shown and we have been told how to pray. But the key question is, will we do it? Will we take what we've seen and learned and will we put into practice praying through the Lord's Prayer? Will we keep seeking and asking and knocking? Because it's one thing for a person from a stage to talk about it and tell or show the way, but it's an entirely another matter for you and I to go and put into practice what we have learned. And so as we conclude this afternoon, if I could encourage you in one thing, it'd be that you can go eagerly and regularly to the Heavenly Father in prayer for all things, especially the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you do it. Because Jesus came, and Jesus gave his life for you and for me that we might have a new relationship with the Heavenly Father that is lived out through the relationship we have in and with the Holy Spirit who abides in us and who we access through prayer. So may we be a people who pray as Jesus taught us to pray. So would you pray with me? And as we quiet our hearts and bow our heads, I, I want to give you an opportunity to pray. You don't have to pray out loud. But would you walk through the Lord's Prayer with me? And would you just say in your heart and mind whatever you're prompted to say as we repeat these words together. Father, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Help us, Lord, to forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good, perfect, wonderful Father. And you have invited us to come to you with all things, things grand and small, 
things that may seem important to us, but we wonder if they're important to you, God, you say, come. And may we regularly come before you with all that is on our hearts and minds. And in that time, may we desperately and eagerly seek out more of the Holy Spirit. God, that our lives would be your temple. That our bodies could be that place where your Holy Spirit dwells. And day in and day out, in the lives we live, that we would be a people who are marked by the presence and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And may we go into this world, not in our own strength or wisdom or power, but in the leading of the Holy Spirit, who is with us. Jesus, thank you for that incredible, indescribable gift and for all the places in our lives where we continue to ask and to seek and to knock and particularly for those places and for people here today that feel like it's been a long, long time that they've been asking and seeking and knocking. I pray that because of your Holy Spirit in our life, we would have a renewed confidence that you are with us in the seeking. You are present in the asking. You are listening as we knock. And you are at work. You are on the move. So may we not grow discouraged. May we not grow weary. But may we be those who continue to ask and to seek and to knock. And may you be glorified in us and through us in all these things. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>